Welcome to WKX in the Morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Time for a regular segment with the New Hampshire Bulletin. NewHampshireBulletin.com to get more from them. This week, reporter Amanda Goki returns. Welcome back. Hi, AJ. Thanks for having me. So let's start off with the Secretary of State's office making uh, voter information available in some different languages. That's very important as the New Hampshire primary is right around the corner. Yeah, that's right. So um, on Monday, the Secretary of State's office announced that it has translated voter information and that is available now in Spanish, Mandarin Chinese and French. Um, So this includes instructions in each language on registering to vote, voting rights and election day procedures, um, the sort of timing of this, as you as you mentioned, AJ, is important. Um, coming up to the, to the primaries, the Secretary of State's office was encouraging election officials to print out these materials and have them available as a, as a resource for voters um, for both the primary and the upcoming general elections. In, in the past, what sort of accommodations have been available for people that are voting in New Hampshire elections with regards to this? That's a great question. So this information has not previously been translated or available in, in other language. And, and that's in spite of the state's rapidly diversifying demographics. So and that includes, of course, people who have limited proficiency in English. That was something in the 2020 census that was really uh, highlighted is that the, the state is becoming more diverse. And so as that happens, I think this is, you know, the Secretary of State recognizing uh, the importance of, of making sure that voting is accessible to everyone. Yeah, I feel like there's been a lot more of putting it on to uh, private charities and such to assist with that in the past, especially in I see that in Concord with a lot of the area churches assisting immigrant families and such that maybe want to go vote for the first time and maybe aren't terribly familiar with the process. Yeah, and there was a, a, an effort this past legislative session to get a bill through that would have essentially done the same thing. Um, that bill didn't make it through uh, out of committee, um, didn't make it through the process, but um, its sponsor was, you know, very supportive of this of this measure and just said, you know, it's it's a really great first step and a step in the right direction. Um, that was Representative Manny Spitia. Um, you know, he represents the the Hispanic community um, in Nashua. It's one of the parts of the state in the South that's you know the most diverse. Um, and Spitia has also said that he hopes to see additional languages added soon. Um, things like Portuguese, Hindi, and, and Indonesian. All right, let's move over to Gunstock, the, the ongoing saga of the last couple months uh, with the, the closing and the reopening, and there's some latest updates when it comes to this. For the people who haven't been following it, can you give the elevator pitch for what exactly went down on here? I'll do my best. Essentially, Gunstock is a ski area. It's in Belknap County. It is publicly owned and, and um, has been for many years. There was basically a disagreement between the, the senior management of Gunstock and a board that is appointed by the county delegation to oversee the mountain. Um, there were two members of that delegation um, who were particularly uh involved in a particularly belligerent sort of exchange with the senior management and the senior management ended up quitting over that. So Gunstock, the mountain closed for a period of about two weeks over the summer. And there was kind of a scramble to figure out um, how it would reopen. And so those two commissioners, um, it it ended up that they, that they resigned and and the mountain was able to uh, reopen as a result of that. 
And there's been even more resignations around uh, Mr. Sylvia here, it seems like. That's right. And that's another sort of element and layer of this um, is that Belknap County is a part of the state where the the Free State Project um, has certainly been uh, very present. And so members of this delegation, including Representative Mike Sylvia, who are a part of that project, who are sympathetic to it, have an ideological belief that government should be extremely limited and extremely small. So there's sort of that question there of whether a county owning and operating a ski resort um, makes sense. And so they've sort of been uh, to varying degrees opposed opposed to that ideologically. So that's sort of the backdrop here. And um, at the this morning's meeting, or we're airing on Friday, so at Thursday morning's um, meeting of the Belknap County delegation, Representative Mike Sylvia actually resigned. He's been the, the chair, so he's had a you know powerful position in the county delegation. Um, he's been the chair of that delegation as they've made a variety of budget cuts. You know things that have impacted the nursing home's ability to uh, to have staff and and therefore fill its beds. Um, that's impacted things like the sheriff's department trainings for the sheriff's department and and their ability to you know buy new. Um, police vehicles. So it's had an impact on public safety. Um, But Sylvia actually resigned over an August 1st meeting. So that was the emergency meeting that was held to accept the resignation of those two members from the Gunstock Oversight Board. Sylvia said this morning that he, he believes that that meeting from August first was uh, was illegal, and that he can't continue to to serve as the chair of this board because of that disagreement. Um, and I should mention there was also a motion to to remove him from that position um, that was on the table when he when he resigned. It, it's so aggressive <laughs> on both sides. It seemed like that, like the fact that it it got so so extreme where they shut down Gunstock, which is just an important part of the economy in that part of the state. In this confusing way of handling you want you the these individuals are in the government but they don't necessarily like the fact the government exists is this confusing situation where where what exactly are you doing in this position i understand what you want to do in this position you want to cause make reforms in place but it's not necessarily what's popular with everyone else that's that's on these commissions let alone the voters Right. And I think that that will be something really interesting to watch in this upcoming election. And there was, you know, a political action committee that was formed in Belknap County to address exactly this issue. And they sort of see it as these, uh, in their view, what are extreme legislature legislators who have gotten elected kind of on running on a Republican uh, ticket and and. Republic fiscal conservatives in that area are saying, hey, you know, we believe that we need to be fiscally responsible, but that's not the same thing as having as having no government. Um, so there's been sort of a, a reaction against that and an effort to get out the vote ahead of the the primaries and and to inform people about the the track record of some of the the candidates that are that are running. It's really making it messy, as I see it on Twitter. We're, we're talking about before we went live. Uh, or reporter Ethan Dewitt over at the Bulletin kicked the hornet's nest today with, with regards to some comments from Jason Osborne, who, who's over at the New Hampshire House, and he's been on, uh, on my radio show, The New England Take, previously. If you want to get some of his take, political takes on things, but um, it, the Republican Party is just it's split into like three different uh, par- sub parties within it. Cause you got the libertarians, you got the social conservatives, you got the more business oriented crew, like uh, governor Sununu all battling it out. And they, they've all, 
they have control of the legislator and the executive branch. I mean, this is going to be continuing to be messy going into this fall session. Right. And Sununu, you know, did weigh in on this gun stock debate and sort of condemn uh, folks like Sylvia. And um, he also called out Huff and Representative Norm Silber, um, all Republicans from Belknap County for their sort of what he called their involvement in this in, in terms of shutting gun stock down. So he really did assign a lot of a lot of blame to, to those particular candidates, but tried to draw a line um, in which he said, you know, it's these aren't Republicans and they're not they're not free staters. He's really trying to kind of cut and parse things um, yeah. in a way that, you know, is, is not it's not neat or easy to do. Yeah, it's. I've been. I, I gotta try and get someone from from whatever the free state movement is now because it's so confusing. Because they've wanted to become as mainstream as possible. Well, on the other side, they're 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 pushing through policy like this and all the other th- more extreme side of the libertarian spectrum that was going through the previous House session through the winter and spring. It's you you, you they want to have their cake and eat it too, but you also can't necessarily get legislation through if you're going to take such extreme steps. I mean, an example with the Gunstock situation is there were contractual obligations that Gunstock had that was going to cost uh, the organization a fair bit of money if they they decided to just continue to be shuttered. Right. And I think you also see this in terms of you're talking about some of the more extreme measures. One of the, the notable ones that happened this past session was, um, you know, folks like Representative Sylvia supporting efforts to have New Hampshire secede from, yeah. from the United States states um so and that garnered you know 13 votes in, in favor of that um so those are the sorts of things where sununu has been very clear that he does not uh just does not support that um and is and is trying to distance himself and i think the republican party from those from those efforts but um it's true what you're saying that so the libertarian um the free state project sort of one of their one of their goals has certainly been to have people run for for state government and kind of defund it from from within so there is a tension there about um serving in the government on the one hand and kind of um dismantling it from within it is is how it's seen by some all right let's move over to waste so you wrote a piece on uh that was released yesterday which would, would have been wednesday uh it looks like environmental group isn't happy with the state's draft for a solid waste plan yeah and so this plan itself is really interesting it's basically supposed to set the the state on a on a path for the next 10 years so it's significant in terms of that time frame it's also significant because there's been such a conversation recently in terms of legislation and environmental concern over this proposal to put a new landfill in the North country up in, in Dalton, you know, that sparked massive debate in the, in the legend in past legislative sessions. Um, so that's sort of like the backdrop for, for this, for this plan. And, and the conservation law foundation is really criticizing it. It says this plan, you know, it lacks important things like clear deliverables and it doesn't have deadlines. It doesn't really assign responsibility who's supposed to do what. Um, so their point was, you know, if, if we fast forward 10 years from now and look back, like we won't really have a clue if, if we've accomplished this this 10 year plan or not. Um, and the stakes are high because right now there's, you know, this problem with uh, out of out of state 
waste that is um, being disposed of in, in New Hampshire. So there's three commercial landfills, for-profit landfills in the state, um, and a proposal to site a fourth here. Um, and that's generated a lot of backlash in the state. People are saying, why should we be the, you know, trash can for the, for the Northeast and for the region? Um, so I think that there's a really interesting debate around that in this this document, um, you know, we'll set we'll set the state on its on its path. So there's going to be another about a month. October 1st is the deadline for the state to submit the final plan. They've just finished receiving um, public comment feedback on the draft plan. Um, so they do have some time to kind of integrate some of this feedback. How how would this address the situation with um, municipalities with their own uh, waste facilities? Because what's unique about um, when when you're looking at rural New England is each town city um, each has their own transfer station that individuals go to on their own very often. Sometimes there's a garbage truck if you're lucky if there's a populated enough area that you live in. Uh, But what sort of impact would it have for these uh, very splintered facilities that are either completely owned by the town or they work with waste management or similar corporation to manage it? Yeah, that's a great question. And New Hampshire is really interesting in that way. Um, So the plan would apply to these municipalities as well as sort of provide guidance to them um, on on some of the goals that the state is setting. So, you know, the main overarching goal, uh, you know, of all of this is to reduce waste at its source. So that means just creating less waste in the first place. And that means there's less for you to have to deal with at sort of the, the, the last place, which is the landfill. So the the plan and the state since 1990 has had this, what's called a hierarchy of how they're supposed to be handling solid waste at the very top, the most important step of that being reducing waste. Um, And the last sort of least preferred method is actually having to send things to the landfill. And so that would apply to places like municipalities as well. This document was sort of supposed to set a guide for them of how you go about doing that. And it it would include things like, you know, public information and awareness. So getting the message out to people of how they can reduce their waste. You know, the nationally there's there's data on this and statistics on this available at the the biggest sort of element of what's going into the landfill and ending up in the dump is, is things like food waste. So what it would could, you know, from that perspective, it makes a big difference if you have uh, composting facilities available in the state. You know, there's only a, a handful um, available right now. I think nine was the number that I remember from reporting on this. Um, also things like preserving your food or shopping to just the adequate amount of food that you actually need. Um, so informing the public in that way um, informing municipalities of how they can also participate and ensure that um, they have their recycling programs. For example, if there's information available about their recycling programs, that's material that could potentially be sold for a profit as opposed to um, ending up being a strain on the on the landfill systems, which are obviously you want to the state is trying to minimize that as much as it can. I think this last line in your article is really important for people to hear. The the basically 1.9 million tons of solid waste that ends up in New Hampshire landfills and incinerators, uh, 900,000 tons comes from out of state, according to the plan, which is an astronomical amount of money. A big thing that comes to my mind when when I hear this is uh, it 
it's kind of the opposite direction of things, but the Poland Spring plant that ended up going in Hollis, Maine, where it was a huge deal to the area. There's tons of pushback with with someone going in there and pumping so much water from underwater wells that affected the population in that area. I mean, what's the economic impact of bringing in all this trash from out of state? Like, is it a, a positive when it comes to the amount of tax dollars and everything that's represented and workforce that's represented in that? Or is it kind of people aren't really sure of the situation? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't actually have the economic analysis um, available, but I do know that these, you know, facilities, the fact that there's a proposal to put a new facility in here means that it's a money making venture. It's a for profit company, you know, they're not going to come in and and propose to build out all this infrastructure unless they thought they could, could make money and there's demand in the region for it, especially as other states are looking at how they can minimize their, um, the waste that they're, that they're accepting. Yeah, this is this is something where where some other uh, less savory jurisdictions might be kind of making their numbers look good too. I, I really hope New Hampshire's keeping an eye on what's going on with such things because that's one of the, I th- think it's New York City I was hearing about. Like they were saying, oh, we only have this much waste going to our facilities because they were shipping a bunch of it to New Jersey. <laughs> it's like there's a lot of uh, sketchy things when it comes to all this. Um, it, when it comes to recycling, which is which you br- mentioned briefly before, is so important. The the ease of access to recycling, I, I hope, is being considered as reforms are coming across the the desks of legislators. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that they mentioned in the plan, again, there's not a super clearly defined uh, path for how they would accomplish this, but they do talk about how do you make those local markets for recyclables as strong and robust as possible, right? Because if you can sell, there's there's certain things that you can sell, right? Like, so um, I think cardboard has been a pretty good example of this. There's, there's a, there's a, you can recycle it. The municipalities, if they're running a program, they can actually earn money to defray the, the costs of their um, of their operation. Um, things like trash, you have to pay. So there's a tipping fee that you have to pay, and so there can be that sort of balance. Um, and and I don't I don't know from the plan. I, I did read the plan. I don't know. <laughs> Are you plan. sure you read? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean to say, like it doesn't it doesn't really spell out what steps the state would take or what it would look like. What does it mean when they say um, we want to strengthen these markets? Like, I think that's a great question. And I'd be really curious to know what are the actionable steps that you take to make sure when you go to sell something like glass is is a good example of something that is not, there's not a great market for glass locally because glass is heavy. So it costs a lot to transport it and you have to heat it up to really high heat in order to shape it into something new. Um, And some of this, the problem kind of comes back to how um, this has changed over the years. So back in the day, you'd have these thick glass bottles that you could just reuse. You just bring it back to the milkman and they refill it with milk and you can use it five, six times. And then companies over the years were like, oh, but if we make the glass a little bit thinner, it's gonna cost us less. Um, but right then you have that item that you have to deal with at the end of its life. And it's like, where does it go? And there's a cost to that as, as well. And the other funny piece with glass is, you know, these companies have decided, okay, like if we make it this blue green, or if we make a purple colored glass, like that's going to look really cool and people are going to want to buy it. So it's a kind of a marketing ploy. Um, but then the problem, you have all these different colors of glass and, and 
that becomes worthless. That becomes something that you cannot take it to the market to sell. It just does not have a value. So you, so these municipalities are stuck with the bill at the end of the day of having to pay um, to remove it. And there are interesting projects out there um, and technological development, I would say, using crushed up glass as fill for, you know, under roads. So there's, there's that side of it as well. But yeah, those, those details, I, I would say, you know, weren't, weren't really clear in the, in the states, in the current draft of the state's plan. Reporter Amanda Goki of the New Hampshire Bulletin. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, AJ. NewHampshireBulletin.com to get more from them and NHTalkRadio.com to get this episode on demand. I'm your host, AJ Kirsa. This is WKXL in the morning.